I'm Floyd Hughes, the pastor of Crossroads Community Church in Jefferson Hills. And although we as Christians come from different denominations and cultures, we all have one job above all others, share the gospel. To help make that easier for every Christian, I've written an evangelism series, three books on evangelism for the whole family. The first book, Evangelism Easy as One, Two, Three, is the book for adults. The second book, Evangelism as Easy as ABC, is the book for youth and children. I wrote it with my eight-year-old niece because she has a great perspective on talking to her friends about Jesus. And the third book, The Evangelism ABCs, is a picture book for smaller children. Each book is age-specific and not meant to be a way to get people into our buildings, but they're resources to help Christians do the most important thing that God has called us to do. Talk to the people in our circles of influence about the gospel. All the books are available in print or ebook format on Amazon today. Thank you for listening to Crossroads Community Church of Jefferson Hills. At Crossroads, our mission is to be the church by sharing and showing the love of Christ and inviting others to be recipients of Christ's love. Now, here is this week's message from Pastor Floyd Hughes. Um, I wanted to start with a question, um, and it's nothing personal, uh, so don't be afraid to answer. But I was just curious because... um, We've been continuing in this series talking about why isn't the church talking about where we're responding to questions that you guys submitted, things that you guys put, um, filled out on these index cards to say, here's what we think the church should be talking more about. But I wanted to ask, uh, how many people think the last couple of topics were kind of, for lack of a better term, harsh, controversial topics? Nobody. Okay. Oh, a couple of Oh, he's stretching. Never mind. <laughs> <laughs> okay, all right. I saw both hands go up. I was like, okay, all right. Well, here's the thing. Let me ask this. Uh, how many people think uh, that those are topics that we needed to talk about because we said, what should the church talk about? How many people feel like these were topics that needed to be discussed, that the church should be, yeah, a couple of people. Okay, that makes sense. Um, the topic this morning, uh, a bit more lighthearted, for lack of a better term, but it definitely is one that the church should talk about more often. This is a topic that even Christians, I mean, excuse me, non-Christians, people who don't know Christ say, hey, how come the church isn't talking more about this topic? Because this is kind of what you guys are supposed to be all about. So when I asked, what should the church talk about more often? Someone within the congregation filled out a card and said, why isn't the church talking more about what happens when we die? Uh, and I think they specifically put, like, in Christ and, like, the moment we die, before we go to heaven, what happens. So here, here's the quick answer, right? And this is, this is straight out of the Bible, and I'll show you that in a minute. The moment that someone dies, right, they go to one or two places. They either go into God's presence, right, to spend an eternity with God, or they go to hell, Forgive my language, but that's the term the Bible uses, to be separated from God, from his kingdom. Those are the only two places. You either go into heaven, where you spend an eternity in God's kingdom, with God, with God's people, 
doing God things, life with God, or you spend an eternity outside of God's kingdom, away from like God's people and God's kingdom, in what the Bible calls hell. And we'll talk more about that in a minute. Now, here's the thing, though. God doesn't choose where we go when we die. We make that decision. And even people that think, well, I haven't really made a decision, no one can leave this earth until they make that decision because the moment they die, they go either into God's kingdom to spend eternity with God or they go away from God into hell. So even if they think, I haven't really made a decision, if they die, they go to one of those two places. And it's determined by the decision that they made, even if they're like, well, I haven't really made up my mind. Because if you end up in one of those places, you have made up your mind. So uh, here's the thing. Uh, I'm going to show that from the Bible. We want to look at what the Bible says, because no one should be like, walk out of here and say, well, this is what Pastor Floyd says happens, right? Because Pastor Floyd watches a lot of TV. You should look and say, well, this is what God says happens, and here is where he says it. So uh, if you have a Bible, open it up to Luke chapter 16. But I'm going to put some verses on the screen that kind of give us some insight into where we're going to go. Now, first verse is going to be from the book of Ecclesiastes. I don't think we've been through that in a couple of years. We're going to do it down the road. Uh, But Solomon, wisest human being on the planet, right, filled with the wisdom of God, still made some pretty giant mistakes with his life, right? So you can be the smartest person on the planet and still mess up, still make mistakes. That's life. But at the end of his life, he looks back and he says, you know what? I made some mistakes, but here's the truth about what life is like. And he pours all this wisdom into this book called Ecclesiastes. Uh, In Ecclesiastes chapter 12, which I think is the final chapter, this is what he says. He says, remember your creator in the days of your youth, before the days of trouble come and the years approach when you say, I found no pleasure in them. Before the sun and the light and the moon and the stars grow dark and the clouds return after the rain. This is a lot of poetic language, right? But basically what he's saying is, hey, remember God when you're young. Don't wait until you're old to start seeking God when you're like, I really don't want to do stuff. I don't have time for this. You know, my life is kind of, you're looking back at your life and you're not happy with it and everything starts to get dim. This is the wisest human being on the planet saying, hey, youth of the world, that's when you should start seeking God when you are young, right? And he also says this, Uh, He says a bunch of other stuff. Then he says this, remember him, meaning your creator, before the silver cord is severed and the golden bowl is broken, before the pitcher is shattered at the spring and the wheel broken at the well and the dust returns to the ground it came from and the spirit returns to God who gave it. So he says, remember God before, um, and this is just a, a, what do you call it? Poetic, glorified way of saying before your life ends. And here's the key. He says, because when your life ends, the dust returns to the ground it came from, and your spirit returns to God who gave it. And when your spirit returns to God, based on your life decisions, it's going to go to one or two places. It's going to go into God's kingdom to spend eternity with God, or it's going to go into hell to spend eternity separated from God. Um, 
in the book of Psalms, the psalmist writes this. He says, don't put your trust in princes and human beings who cannot save. When their spirit departs, they return to the ground. On that very day, their plans came to nothing. Now, he's saying, this is why we shouldn't put our trust in, like when he says princes, government leaders and kings or whatever, because as soon as they die, their body turns to dust, and everything they tried to do can't help them. And he goes on to say that we should be putting our trust in Christ. But he says the same thing. When we die, our body returns to the ground. And science bears this part out because every single mineral and element found in our human bodies can be found in the earth. Which stands to reason if God created man out of the earth, that all the elements found in the earth would be found in us. Every single element that you find in the human body, somebody Google this, because uh, we did a series, I, I forget what it was called, years ago, where I had a chart up that showed all the elements in the human body, and they were all found in the earth. But Google this. Again, don't take my word for it. This isn't me. This is what science is saying. And this is what it bears up that if we were created by God out of the earth, that we would have all of those elements in us. So when we die... Our physical body, it decays. And it doesn't matter if, 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 if you put it in this, I'm not trying to be morbid, but if you put it in a coffin, in a wall or whatever, in the ground somewhere, or if you burn it to ashes, it takes 30 minutes for it to burn, the human bones and all that to burn to ashes. It takes about 30 years for the human body to decay. But either way, it's going to return to dust. But our spirit, will go to one or two places. That's either going to go to heaven where we get to spend eternity with God or it's going to go to hell where we spend eternity separated from God's kingdom and from his people. So uh, now, if, if you haven't already done so, uh, open your Bible to Luke chapter 16. And I want to show you what Jesus says about this because it doesn't matter what I say about this. Even though Solomon was the wisest person on the planet, it doesn't matter what he says about this. Uh, but what Jesus says about it is really important. And in Luke chapter 16, in verse 19, it says this. There was a rich man who was dressed in purple and fine linen and lived in luxury every day. Now, I, I, I want to make a distinction because sometimes it talks about there were wealthy people in the Bible and they weren't like rich, rich. They were like, you know, they make a couple hundred thousand dollars a year rich or they might make a million dollars rich. But what Jesus is doing is using language that was common in that day to make sure people understood. This guy, he was like Elon Musk rich. He was like billionaire rich. He was like, like you and I, when we want to have fun, we'll go to Kennywood and we'll, we'll ride the roller coaster. I won't because I'm afraid of heights, so I'll hold your coat while you do. But this guy, when he wanted to have fun, he's like, I'm going to build a rocket and just fly around space rich. He was like Bruce Wayne, Tony Stark, billionaire rich. That, that's how rich this guy was. Now, here's the thing. At his gate, at the gate of this rich man's house, there was a beggar named Lazarus who was covered with sores and longing to eat what fell from the rich man's table. Even the dogs came and licked his sores. The time came when the beggar died, and the angels carried him to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. Now, here's the other thing we have to understand. This is Jesus telling this. This isn't just somebody else. This is Jesus explaining this. And the reason he's saying this is because uh, all of the, uh, the, the Pharisees came and they started 
asking him questions, and he starts telling them these stories. So when Jesus says, and so to answer part of the question, what happens immediately after we die, when we're in Christ, Jesus says angels come and they escort us into heaven. This is where we get the concept of uh, the angel of death, which people think is a scary thing, which in movies is a horrific thing, but according to Jesus, it's a blessing thing. Because it's kind of like, has anyone, I have never been, has anyone ever been to any kind of red carpet event, which is like a red carpet? I watch it on TV and then I turn it off because I get jealous because I've never been to one. But when you watch these red carpet events, there are like uh, people walking them down the aisle and, and there's all this flashing and all this and all that. That's what it's going to be like for us. It's not like you're just going to, people say, well, you're going to die and then you're going to wake up in heaven. Not true. Because biblically, Jesus says you're going to be escorted into his presence by angelic beings, right? So, um, but then he goes on and he says this, the angels carried him to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. In hell, where he was in torment, he looked up and saw Abraham far away with Lazarus by his side. Now, uh, we have to make just something clear. What Jesus is explaining is happening before Jesus died to pay the penalties for our sins. So what Jesus, and he's very careful in his language to make this distinction. He says the angels escort him to Abraham's side. So wherever Abraham was, that's where the angels escorted this person. And Abraham and all of the Old Testament prophets and anyone who died before Jesus was um, paid the penalty for our sins, if they were destined for heaven, they couldn't go yet because they died with sin in their life, even though they were looking forward to being with God, even though they lived their life in accordance with his ways, their sins hadn't been paid for. So theoretically, there was this holding place that was not in heaven where all of those people had to wait because they couldn't go into the presence of God until their sins were paid for. That led to, and I'm not trying to offend anyone, but that led to the, what people call purgatory. Anyone heard of purgatory? Yeah, it's the understanding that when we die today, that we go to this place called purgatory to wait. That's not the case. And I want to show you this from Scripture, because Jesus has a conversation. How many people remember the thief on the cross? Right? There were two thieves on the cross. One of the criminals or thieves who hung there, hurled insults at, insults at him. That's Jesus. He said, aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and us. But the other criminal rebuked him. Don't you fear God, he said, since you are under the same sentence. We are punished justly, for we are getting what our deeds deserve. But this man has done nothing wrong. So he acknowledged, hey, Jesus hasn't done anything wrong. He acknowledges the sinlessness of Jesus. But then he goes on and he says this. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. So he acknowledges, hey, Jesus, you're sinless. But he also acknowledges that you're the son of God and that you're going to have a kingdom in heaven. And Jesus says, truly, I tell you today, not at some point in the future, not years and years later, not after you're going to go to sleep and then later, but he says, today you will be with me in paradise. The reason he says today is because Jesus knew he was going to die that day. And when he died, he paid the penalty for everyone's sins. So that thief, Abraham, 
the, the, the man named Lazarus, and everyone who ever lived before then, who was in right standing with God, they were going to go into the presence of God. Everyone after that who died since the death and burial and resurrection of Jesus Christ, everyone who dies in Christ, I think it was a question that was given us, when we die, what happens in Christ? So theoretically what happens is when we die, when we take our last breath, our spirit returns to God. If we are in Christ, angelic beings will carry us into his presence and we will spend the rest of eternity in the presence of God. But we need to talk about those who are not in Christ because they have a different outcome. Because uh, even though um, those people go to heaven, what the Bible says is the wicked go down to the realm of the dead all the nations that forgot God, all the people that don't want anything to do with God, all the people that refuse to do what God has asked them to do, all the people that say, I don't want anything to do with you Christians, so be it, we're not going to beat you over the head with the Bible. But there is an eternal destination for them as well. And John makes it clear, uh, the Apostle John says that very truly I tell you who, uh, and he's quoting Jesus, very truly I tell you whoever hears, or excuse me, this is Jesus speaking, very truly I tell you whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me, that's God, has eternal life and will not be judged, but has crossed over from death to life. And the reason we won't be judged is because by accepting what Jesus Christ did on the cross, we're already saying, I'm guilty. Has anyone ever watched like one of those uh, police shows where they make a plea deal? Instead of going to court, they say, you know what, I'm guilty, but have mercy, give me a lesser sentence. When we acknowledge our guilt, Jesus says, I'm going to throw out your sentence and you get to spend eternity with me. Not because he's unjust, but because all of the judgment that should have been put upon us was put upon Jesus, which is why he died for us. All right, jump back into, um, I've got where, verse 24. So he looked up, he saw Abraham far away and Lazarus by his side. So he called to him, this is, this is the rich man, Father Abraham, have pity on me and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue because I am in agony in this fire. Now remember, the rich man is in hell. There's people that say that when people go to hell, it's not going to be a place of fire. They just say it's going to be a place of darkness and you'll just sleep forever. That's not what Jesus says. Jesus is giving an example of here's what it looks like, and he says it's going to be a place of fire and torment, right? And then this is the way Jesus describes hell. In the book of Mark, chapter 9, he says this, if your hand causes you to stumble or to sin or to do things that are outside of the will of God, he says, cut it off. It's better for you to enter life maimed than with two hands to go into hell where the Fire never goes out. Jesus, in giving an example, he says, hey, if, if and he doesn't mean like literally cut your, hopefully no one comes in next week with a stump. That's, that's not what he means, right? He means if there's something that's causing you to do wrong, whether it be to hit people or argue with people or do whatever, then do whatever you have to do to stop that because it's better that you not have that freedom than you end up in hell. And he says the same thing about uh, if you're 
foot causes you to stumble. And then he says, if your eye causes you to stumble, pluck it out. Better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than to have two eyes and be thrown into hell. And here's how he describes it. Where the worms that eat them do not die and the fire is not quenched. This doesn't sound like a place when you're like just asleep for eternity. I don't know if anyone's ever had surgery and when they knock you out, like, got to be honest, sometimes that's the best sleep any of us have ever had, totally knocked out in surgery. We don't remember a thing. We don't feel a thing. We don't even dream. We just kind of wake up. And that's what people describe hell as. That's not what Jesus says. He says there are going to be worms eating your body. I don't even like stink bugs, much less worms, trying to like eat and, and claw into your, your body. And it's, it's kind of saying that your body will be in this constant state of decay. And he says the fire is not going to be quenched. And uh, when Jesus uses the word for hell, uh, it's a word, uh, Gehenna, I might be mispronouncing it, and it's a reference to, there was a valley of Genome, I'm probably mispronouncing that as well. It used to be a place where they worshipped false idols and they would sacrifice their children in a fire. Once Israel got right and said, wow, we messed up when we did that, they said, we can't use this land for anything. No one should live there. Uh, we, we, we don't want to even build a bathroom there. So they turned it into an incinerator where there was a constant fire and trash was constantly thrown in and the fire burned night and day, night and day, night and day. They never put it out. It was just a constant fire burning and they would just throw trash there. That's the word that Jesus uses uh, for hell. So jump back over to verse 25, and he says this. So the man said, hey, uh, let me send him, have pity on me, send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue because I'm in agony in his fire. But Abraham replied, son, remember that in your lifetime, you received good things while Lazarus received bad things, and now he is comforted here, and you are in agony. And besides all this, between us and you, a great chasm has been fixed so that those who want to go from here to you cannot, nor can anyone cross over from there to us. There are those people who believe that, hey, uh, if, 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 if you die outside of God's will, you'll just go to sleep. And then at the great throne judgment, which we'll talk about next week, because someone asked, why aren't people talking about Revelation? And everyone is talking about Revelation, but they're not doing it biblically. They're just coming up with all kind of crazy stuff. The great throne judgment, and we, we, we talked about this when we went through the book of Mark, where Jesus says, hey, he's going to sit on his throne. And he's going to say, hey, you sheep that did what I asked you to do, and you believe in me, and you trust in me, come and go to eternity with my kingdom. But for those of you who did not you are going to go and spend eternity outside of God's kingdom and hell. And people think that, oh yeah, we'll, we'll just, when we die, we go to sleep. But then at the great throne judgment, God will let everyone in. God's not letting everyone in. He is not letting everyone in. It, 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 it's not how his kingdom works. It's not how his world works. It's not what his word says. He says, this is eternal. You can't go, once you're in one place, that's it, you're there, you don't get to change your seat. Like, that's the ticket you bought, right? You ever been, like, at a, a, a concert or a baseball game? Um, I was going to say, because the most recent concerts, Beyonce and, and, and uh, what's her name? Taylor Swift, yeah, um, none of us can afford those, but... 
at, at, at those concerts, right, uh, there are people, and I think Taylor Swift, Christy said, $1,200 for like beyond nosebleed. Like you had to, you were there, but you had to watch it on your phone because you couldn't see. But there is no, oh, there's an empty seat down front. I get to go switch and move up. That's not how it's going to work. The seat you got is the seat you wanted, and that's where you're going to stay for all eternity. Verse 27, but he answered, then I beg you, this is the rich man. I beg you, Father, send Lazarus to my father's house, for I have five brothers. Let him warn them so that they will not also come to this place of torment. Now, a lot of people think that, you know, and they say, well, God is cruel. Why is God tormenting these people? That word torment is a word that used for a, I think it was a stone that was used to test the purity of something. Like they were trying to verify and make sure it's pure. So that fire, here's the, here's the picture that we get. That fire that's constantly burning is burning out the impurities and those people who are separated from Christ. Here's the problem. It won't burn out because this is who they chose to be. So trying to burn out that wickedness, trying to burn out that evil, trying to burn out that murderous, adulterous, anger, whatever it is, this is who they chose to be. This is who they said, I would prefer to be this than to spend time with God. So that fire is not going to burn it out, and it's going to be torment to be in a never-ending fire, right? So he says no. Oh, excuse me. He said, send them to my father's house because I have five brothers. Let him warn them so they won't come to this place of torment. And Abraham replied, and this is key, they have Moses and the prophets. Let them listen to them. Here's someone saying, hey, if you, if you allow someone to, be, to rise from the dead and go to my family's house and tell them and warn them that this place of torment is real, that they'll listen and Abraham says, they have the word of God. That's all they need. Because he goes on and he says this, no, Father Abraham, he said, if anyone from the dead goes to them, they will repent. Because again, that's the whole turning away from the life that they chose, the, the, the sin or the wickedness or the evil that's in them. But he said to them, if they don't listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be convinced even if someone rises from the dead. This is why the church exists, because Jesus already rose from the dead. The people in Jesus' day didn't believe it. The people after Jesus' day didn't believe it. There's people today who don't believe it. I was doing a podcast with Mark, and we were talking about, you know, how do people of faith respond to this whole aliens among us? It's a good, you should go listen to that. But in any case, and Mark was doing some research, and he said there are more people that believe that there are aliens on other planets than believe that Jesus Christ rose from the dead and these just among Christians. More people who call themselves Christians believe that there are aliens on other planets than believe that Jesus Christ rose from the dead even though there's archaeological and historical evidence that supports that Jesus rose from the dead. And we don't have anything that shows that E.T. is real. But they believe that more. 
This is why the church exists. This is why we're here. This is why the church has to do what we do. This, it, listen, I, I know people, and we talk about this all the time, have different cultural, different political, different social agendas. The church doesn't exist for any of that. The sole reason that the church exists is to share the gospel so that people might experience salvation and get to spend an eternity with God instead of damnation and an eternity separated and outside of God's kingdom. Yes, if we share the gospel, we can help broken families be restored. Yes, if we share the gospel, we can help some of the social and justice issues in our nation. Yes, if we share the gospel, we can help people break free from addictions. But the primary reason the church exists is to share the gospel so that people experience salvation. I'm going to share this, this story. I was going to have the band come up, but I'm going to share this story because um, there is an actress. Her name is China McLean. And uh, she gets a lot of, uh, of, of criticism because she's a Christian. And her father shared this story with her. And I'm, I'm sharing my version because, you know, this is me. This is how I do. But imagine if none of you were Christians. And we all decided, hey, after today's Sunday celebration, let's go out to lunch, because we do that so much, food and fellowship throughout the Bible. Let's go out to lunch and get something to eat. So we all head down to a local restaurant. Uh, we, we, we fill up all the tables, or they get a big enough table that fits all of us. We're all sitting around this huge table, and everyone's trying to decide what they eat. And I say, I've been here before, um, so I'm going to order this particular appetizer. And I told the waitress, hey, bring me one of these appetizers. And you guys are all chatting, and, and do, here's a key thing. When you go out as a group, look at the menu first, decide what you want, then do the chatting, because people are hungry. But in any case, so um, you guys are all chatting and all that stuff. She brings me the appetizer, and I take a bite, and I bite down on plastic and glass, and my mouth starts to, like, feel weird. And then I go, I say, excuse me one second, you guys, excuse me. And I go into the bathroom and I pull out plastic and I pull out glass and I pull out, forgive my language, a little piece of deer poop in the appetizer. And I wash out my mouth and I, like all this stuff, I clean away the blood and I come sit back at the table. And you guys all say, hey, Floyd, we're ready to order our appetizers. How was that appetizer that you just had? And I say, it was good. Go ahead and order it. Would that be me trying to force my morals on you by just letting you experience the pain and the agony that I experienced? Wouldn't it be more just and more moral if I said, you know what? Don't order that appetizer and we might even want to consider going to another restaurant. Wouldn't that be the just thing to do? Wouldn't that be the loving thing to do? Would you be more grateful if I just didn't force my morality on you and said, just, just go ahead, if you want it, order it, and I don't tell you of the pain and the anguish that I know is going to come from your decision? And this is what people talk about when they say we as Christians are forcing our morality on people. This is what people are talking about when they say we as Christians are trying to, you know, create political agendas and, 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 and make people do this and that. We're not trying to make people do anything. 
we're trying to save lives. The eternal souls of our family members, our friends, our loved ones, even the people we hate, their eternal souls are at stake. And we cannot call ourselves Christian. We can't even call ourselves American. And we should not even call ourselves human if we know what's at stake and we don't tell them. That's why we're here.